Father, in the next few moments as we open your word, I pray that your spirit would be free to touch our hearts. I pray that it would be your words that we hear, not mine. God, thanks so much for the promise that you gave us that your word is alive, that it is sharper and more powerful than a two-edged sword that pierces our hearts and sees inside our very soul. So by your spirit, God, remove whatever would distract us and cause us not to hear from you this morning. I pray that your will and your way would be accomplished in our hearts. Thank you for the strength that comes from knowing you and relying and resting in you. Help us to see Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Thanks. You may have a seat. If you were with us last week, we started a new series in the book of 1 Thessalonians. It's a small book, but it is a packed book. Uh, there is a lot that God has for us as we kind of pull this little book apart. And last week as we started, we were talking about the internal change that happens inside of us uh, when, we, when we start a relationship with Jesus Christ. And we looked at the first five verses, and we were talking about this, that internally the change that happens in us is this, that we come to know a little bit about faith in God, right? And we said if the faith is the size of a mustard seed, God says, wow, there's a lot that can happen by having that little bit of faith in him. And we talked a little bit about the fact that the love of God is revealed in us when we come to know him and we begin to see people differently and people start to see us differently because there's a change in us because of the love of God that's found in us. And then there's a hope that comes that we wouldn't have any other way except for the change that happens by the Spirit of God actually living in us. And there's a hope that takes place in our heart that changes us. And if you remember from last week, we said that there, there was this internal change that was taking place, but there was also an external change that starts to take place in our life. And 5b, which we're going to look at in a minute, down through the end of the chapter, talks a lot about this external change that starts to take place. Now, I need to remind you of a couple things before we start talking about the external thing. And and what you need to remember is this, the setting that these people are in. Remember that Paul and Silas were on a missionary journey and they had got kicked out of Philippi and they went on to this town of Thessalonica. It's a port city. It's a really important hub. It's seen as one of the capitals. And they come to this port city and like I was saying last week, often when we read these little letters, we think of them a small group of people and it probably was a small group of people who came to faith, but the city that they're going to is a city of about 200,000 people. It's huge. And there's a lot going on and there's a lot of influence in this city. And if you look at the map and you look at the time period that they're in, you'll realize that there's a lot of Greek influence in this city and there's a lot of Roman influence in this city. And because of those influences, the God system of the day pervaded the culture, right? The church hasn't started yet. That's what's happening. Paul and Silas are going to start. They're planting churches. And God is beginning to do something different. And the religious system is it's, it's getting started. And it's going to look totally different. And these people that lived in this city at this point in time had given their heart and their soul over to idols. And they worshipped all different forms of idols. If you look at the book of Acts, where this kind of tells us how it starts in Acts 17, and you look at all of the places that Paul goes in his missionary journeys, you'll see this, that these people had idols 
for everything. Whatever it was that was going on in their day and age, they had an idol for it, and they would sacrifice to it, they would worship it, they would give it things, they would do whatever they could to make this idol happy so that their life would go well. You say, wow, that's strange. Yeah, right. Exactly. We do it today. Oh, you may not have a little statue. You may not have formed it out of something else. But we chase things all the time. And remember this, whatever gets our time and our attention is our idol. Let's bear, I'm a simple guy. We're just having, Lisa, we were having this conversation this morning. I'm very simple. So let's make it simple. Whatever gets your time and your attention is your idol. It's what you worship. And so these people had all kinds of forms of idols that they bowed down and they worshiped in different ways. But our culture is no different. And what Paul and Silas do with this group of people in this culture and starting this church is the same thing that happens in our hearts today. We are running away from God. We're doing our own thing our own way. We're chasing different things for security and freedom and happiness and hope. And we're doing all kinds of things just hoping that if we do enough of whatever it is, my life will have meaning all of a sudden and it'll be great. And we end up empty. And we end up hopeless. And we stop and we scratch our heads and we wonder why. And that's who Paul and Silas was speaking to when he has this letter that he sends back to this little church. Now remember, this little church started and Paul and Silas had to get out of there. They kind of stirred up a hornet's nest and they were getting ready to get rid of them. And so the church pushes them on and they go, we don't know if they were there for three weeks or three months. We're not sure. It was a short period of time. But this little church is birthed. And Paul and Silas have to run on. And about six to nine months later, he writes a letter back to these people who started the church, who who are living in this culture, 200,000 people, all kinds of idols, all kinds of ways of looking life. And this group of people said, no, it's not about the idols. No, it's not about me figuring out how to fulfill my own life. It's about God and it's about his son, Jesus Christ, and what Jesus Christ did on the cross for me. And I accept that. Wow, it's foreign to the people they're living with. This is so weird. These people are strange. And they're being persecuted for it. Now remember, it's a clannal society. And so a lot of these people would understand this, that the moment this happened, they are, they are no longer accepted within their family or their unit that they're living in. It's a big deal. And they may have lost some of their livelihood. It's very likely that they did. But yet we're going to see an external change that takes place in their heart and their life. Go with me for a little ride. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 5. We're going to read the last part of the verse. It says this. You know how we lived among you for your benefit. Stop for a minute. I'm going to keep reading, but I have to help you with this for just a second. Paul and Silas lived the external change. When Paul and Silas, for that short time, were with this group of people, they were living out Jesus Christ to those people. This wasn't silent. 
This was them coming, preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, saying what Jesus Christ had done on the cross to save them. But not only that, they lived among them. And if you read, you find this, they worked among them. Paul says, I was a tent maker. I provided my own stuff for my own way. I made it so that you guys didn't owe me anything. And I wanted to make sure I provided enough that you guys could see Jesus Christ in me. And that's what they did. They lived among them and they showed them from the integrity of their own lives who Jesus Christ was. And so he starts this verse, verse five, the end of the verse. And he says, look, you know, by looking at my life, that what I said wasn't, I was saying one thing out of this side and I was doing something else over here. It all lined up. Wow, that's way different than the culture we live in. Right? Leadership today says, look, I'm going to tell you all this stuff, but behind the curtain, this is going on. And Paul's like, look at my life. What I say out front and what's behind the curtain, there is no curtain. It's all the same. And as leaders, that's what God calls us to. He says, look, I need you to be so full of integrity that you can look at people and say, look at my life, and it will be a representation of Jesus Christ. That's what Paul says to these people. Look at who I am and you will be seeing Jesus Christ. Look at verse 6. He says this. And you yourselves became, and here's why this matters, how Paul lived. You yourselves became imitators of us and of the Lord when in spite of severe persecution, you welcomed the message with joy from the Holy Spirit. Stop there for a minute. Paul just doesn't say, we worked hard while we were among you so that we wouldn't lead you astray. He says, look, not only did we work hard, we told you, follow exactly what we do. Because we're not just living a life, we're imitating Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is living so in me that if you follow what I do, you'll be imitating the Lord. Can you say that as a Christ follower today? That's what Paul was saying to this group of people, this young church. He says, look, look at my life. Live just like me and you will see Jesus. Wow. Did it mean he was perfect? No. (laughs) No, we know Paul wasn't perfect. But his hard attitude and his desire and his drive was to follow the Lord to such an extent that people could imitate him and be like him. Think of the ramifications of that in our lives today, folks. If we're living out Christ to such an extent that we can point at our friends and our neighbors and we can say, look, if you will live like me right now, you will see Jesus. Whoa. They saw Jesus in Paul and Silas and the end of that verse says this. And because they did it, they welcomed the message in the Holy Spirit to their life. Just as Paul had welcomed the message of Jesus Christ in his own life, remember on the road to Damascus, he saw the light, and God spoke to him, and he went and he was helped to see who Jesus Christ was, and he was taught what Jesus Christ was really all about, and he received the message and the Holy Spirit in his life. Paul says, look, you watched me, you saw me live for God, you saw it was true, and in the middle of knowing that was true, you received the message of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. And you not only received it, but you got it. And here's how I know you got it. 
because persecution followed and he didn't give up. See, it's really easy for us to say, yeah, I got it. I see the God thing. I'm in. I get the God thing. I'm all about it. And then at work, somebody starts making fun and we're like, yeah, you know, I just go on Sunday because my wife wants me to. That's really all. Or I'm a Christ follower, I get it. But then I have an opportunity to twist stuff just a little bit in my favor, and it's a little over the line. It's, it's not quite right. It's, it's kind of the gray area, if you will. And I'll go the gray area and hope nobody sees it. Or the story that I end up telling is just a little off. It's just a little off color. I mean, really, it's not that bad. And it doesn't take much for us. It's not even persecution. It's not even dying for my faith. It's a little bit of how somebody might see me or think about me. And I'm done. And Paul says of these people, he says, look, you knew. You knew what would happen if you said yes to Jesus Christ. You knew what would happen in your life if you accepted the message and the Holy Spirit into your life. And yet, in spite of what you knew was coming, you still said yes. Now, that's all really neat when you read those first two verses that I just gave you, but it's the next section that I get so excited about. You thought I was excited a minute ago? You just wait. You're going to have to hold me back. No. The next section is what I get really excited about because here's the external change. This, by the way, is when the church really becomes the church. This next little section I'm going to read to you. This next section is not about a formality of religion. This is when the Acts church, the church that started because of who Jesus Christ was and is, and the fact that he rose again, and the fact that the Holy Spirit, one of the Godhead, came to indwell believers. This is who he made his church to be. You look at it in these next these next couple of verses. This is incredible. The external change that happens in a life that has been truly redeemed by the grace of God is amazing. Okay, you ready for this? Here it is. Are you sure you're ready? As a result, I'm going to read these next few verses and then go back and help you with them. It says this, as a result, you became an example to all the believers of Macedonia and Achaia. For the word of the Lord rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but in every place that your faith in God has gone out. Therefore, we don't need to say anything. For they themselves report what kind of reception we had from you. Now, how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God. And to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. Three phrases in this little passage that I want you to grab, because these three phrases are the evidence of the external change that took place in the heart of this small group of people in this big city of Thessalonica. You ready for this? Number one, as a result of you knowing who Jesus Christ is, as a result of you receiving the message in the Holy Spirit of God. Here are the external evidence. Evidence number one, found in verse seven. You became an example. These guys are only six months old in their faith. That's it. 
Six to nine months Paul's writing this. So they're not even that old when he's writing the letter. Timothy comes to him and he says, hey, Paul, Silas, remember the church you planted in Thessalonica? That church is going gangbusters. It's incredible what the Holy Spirit is doing in that church. It's having an effect everywhere. Those people in that church are an example all along the port cities. They're going everywhere. They're talking about Jesus Christ everywhere. It would be like me coming here and planting this church and then leaving and going to Boston or somewhere else and and Ben or somebody else coming to me three, six months later and saying, you won't believe what's going on at Moss Brook. Those people who accepted Jesus Christ, they're affecting Harrison, Bridgeton. They're affecting Hebron, Minot. They're, they're, they're in Auburn now. These people are crazy. That's what that verse is saying. When it came back from Timothy, he tells him, he says, look, you won't believe this. These people are being an example everywhere. It's incredible what the church is doing. All of Macedonia, take a map. I know you love maps like I do, but take a map and look at Macedonia. Look at the cities right there. It's a port city and they're in and out of the port cities all over that place. It's a hub of commercial endeavor. And those people are coming to Jesus Christ and they're working on the port city and they're working down on the docks. And the docks are hard if you know anything about the docks. It's the rough crowd. And yet they're an example to Jesus Christ. And it's going everywhere. Look at verse 8. Not only are they example, because when we think of an example, folks, we often think of someone who's quiet, who's full of integrity, but they do everything right. You see their life and they're doing great. And that's the underground people. Those are the silent people. Remember, God never called us to be that. They're an example, but look at what it says in verse 8. In verse 8, it says this, that the word rang out. And the word there, rang out, is this. It's like somebody blaring a trumpet. So this is what he means when he says that. He says, this little group of people who understood who Jesus was, he became part of their life. The Holy Spirit is living within them. And now they're not going around going, hey, It's not what they're doing. It says this. It's like a truck. I'm a Christian. Hey, I'm on my way to work and I'm a Christian. Right. God saved me. Now, it doesn't say that they got weird. It just says it rang out. Right. They're not on the secret team. They're living their life for God. It's who they are. It's real. The Holy Spirit has changed them. And the effect of that says this, that they were an example to the people. And the word of God that was in them rang out to the society that they were living in. That's huge. Folks, we live in a day and age in our culture where as Christians often we want to be really quiet about it because we're afraid what somebody's going to think. Our culture is going down the tubes fast. And the way we view life is going down the tubes incredibly quick. If you were to study 
civilizations, ancient civilizations, and you were to spend much time studying why they fell, what you will find is that the moment we lose respect for humanity, for human life, God begins to remove his hand. And we've lost it. We kill babies before they're born and after they're born. We look at ways to kill people as they come to the end of their life to make it easier. And we're trying to make it okay. Go to Rome. Go to Greece. Go to the Egyptian cultures and see what happened. The moment we play God with humanity, God goes, "Ah, I'm done. And this church is in the middle of this kind of stuff. And they don't hide from it. It says they became an example of who God was and their voice rang out. God is real. God is alive. God wants to make a difference. God cares about humanity. Their voice rang out. And it doesn't end there. (laughs) Look at the next phrase. These people are, they're on it, people. The next phrase is also found in verse 8, and it says this. Paul says, and we don't need to say anything. I love this little phrase. It's not saying that the church didn't need to say anything. It's Paul and Silas saying, look, as we showed up in towns that were surrounding this area, you know what we found out? We found out that the word of God had lived so well in these people's lives, they had already told these towns about God. And when I got there, I didn't have to say anything. They already knew. It would be like Mike and I showing up in Harrison next door or, or, or in Bridgeton or in Freiburg or wherever it was, and we're going to go and we're going to do an evangelical, we're going to do a crusade, we're going to tell everybody about Jesus. And we show up at the meeting and we say, hey, we want to tell you guys about Jesus. And they say, oh, you're too late, Mossbrook. They were already here and told us. That's what it would be like. It's the same thing. He says this. He says, look, you were such an example. Your words rang out so well that when we got ready to talk about Jesus to some of these other places, they already knew who he was because you guys lived it so well. That is the church. Here's where we've messed up, folks. The church in our day and age is what happens here on Sunday morning. That's what it's become. And if the pastor preaches there, woohoo, we did it. He gave a good one this week. I hope we do. But that's not the church. The church is the people who have come to know Jesus Christ living out their faith among the people that they know and love. That's the church. And what Paul says is the external examples of you being the church, the external example of Jesus Christ living in you is this, that you were an example to everybody that you were around, that like a trumpet, the word of God rang out from you. And when we got to other places, we were too late. You'd already told them about Jesus Christ. That's the church. That's the church. That's the external example of Jesus Christ being in us. Wow. Let me ask a question. Is, is that Moss Brook Church? 
Are those external examples, evidence of what God has done in us? We make up the church. Are those the evidence of what God has done in us? And you say, but Tim, how? I'll tell you how they did it. You want to know how they did it? It's a deep secret. Get ready. You can, you, you can, you can save it if you want, but, but here's the secret. Here's what they did. They told their story. That's all they did. They told what Jesus Christ had done for him. Look at the end of these verses. It says this. You told people how you turned from idols to God how you saw who God was and you turned from the idols you were serving and you decided to serve the one true God. That's how, that's how they did it. They told their story. What's your story? What idol have you turned from? Maybe you haven't. Maybe you think you're a Christ follower, but you haven't turned from any idols. Maybe they own you. Maybe your security is wrapped up in your idols. Maybe whatever it is that you're chasing, your hope someday will bring fulfillment. It won't. But the answer to how people know the truth about who Jesus Christ is, is by you, me, telling those who are close to us how we turn from the thing we thought would save us to the one who could save us, Jesus Christ. How we went from trying to to fill my life with so much stuff that I would be happy to realizing there is only one who fills my life, and that is the person of Jesus Christ. You want everybody to know? Tell your story. Hey, but don't make it up. If you haven't run into Jesus yet, if you haven't met him, if you don't have a relationship with him, don't tell your story yet. Meet him. Let him have your heart and your life. Let him make the difference that he wants to make in your heart and your life. The story is the same for us. We have idols and when we get to the point where we let go and we stop worshiping our idols and we begin to worship the God of this universe, the God who wants to change us, the God who wants to make us the person that he wants us to be and he created us to be. When we get to that point that we give up, God will change the town that we live in, but not until. It's interesting, every chapter of this book that you're going to see ends with the same wonderful hope. Guys are getting ready for communion, if you're wondering. There's wonderful hope that's found at the end of this. Every chapter ends the same way, and it's this. Look to Jesus. Look to the hope of spending eternity with Jesus Christ. Look to the end. And that's the celebration. When my heart changes the internal, the faith, the love, and the hope in Jesus Christ, and it affects me to the external where I become an example of who Jesus Christ is, I ring out the message of God, and, I, and nobody else needs to tell because I've already told who Jesus Christ is in me, then I have a hope of a future with him. And that's the end of this passage. It says, looking to Jesus Christ who gives me a hope to spend eternity with him. Do you have that hope this morning? I have a home. (laughs) I don't only have a hope in Jesus Christ, but I have a home. And my home is not here. I'm not comfortable here. I feel way out of place here. But I have a home with him and eternity. And this morning, we're going to celebrate communion. And what communion is, is a celebration of the hope that I have in Jesus Christ because of what he did for me on the cross. 
And when I get to the place where I accept what he's done for me on the cross and I say, look, I'm tired and I can't deal with the sin on my own and I give my heart and my life to you and I yield myself to you, then God begins to take his home in my heart. And through the ministry of the Holy Spirit, he begins to change me and make me more like his son, Jesus Christ. And so for us, communion is this. It's a celebration of the transformation that's taken place in my heart and my life by knowing Jesus Christ. And when I come to take communion, it's this. It's admitting the fact that Jesus Christ is my Lord and my Savior. He's the master of my life. He's the king. He's on the throne. And for me, it's a celebration. It's when I get to say, thank you. Thanks for what you did. Now, I don't know where your heart is this morning. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, if you haven't come to the place where you understood that you needed a savior, you needed someone to to pay for your sin, then you can let the communion stuff go by. Nobody's going to think anything of it. But if you have a relationship with God, then I want you to I want to encourage you to stop for just a moment. I want you to say thank you for what he's done for you. If there's sin right now between you and God, would you take a moment and would you deal with that? Would you apologize to God? He tells us this, that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If that sin is not just between you and God, but it's between you and another believer, would you take a moment to make that right as well? And then as communion goes by, we're going to do both the cup and the bread. And as those go by, take them, pause for a moment, pray. You can take them as they come. The band's going to lead us in some worship. And I want you just to focus your heart and your attention on who Jesus Christ is and what he has done for you. Let me read a couple of verses as we, as we do that this morning, found in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Once again, it was Paul who instituted this to the church. Jesus did with his disciples. And then Paul took it in the same manner that Jesus had done it. And he gave it to the church. And this is how he outlined it for them. He said it this way. He said, For I received from the Lord what I also pass on to you. On the night that he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took a cup, and after supper, he said, This cup is the new covenant of my blood. Do this as oft as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as oft as you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. You remember the freedom and the hope that you have in Jesus Christ because of what he's done for you and for me. Father, In the next few moments, would you guide our hearts? Would you help us to see Jesus clearly? Father, if there's something in our hearts that would stop us in our relationship with you or with another brother and sister in Christ, bring it to our mind by your spirit so that we could make that right. God, thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for the hope that we have of a home because of what you've done for us. Thanks for the new life that is ours in Jesus Christ.